0: So our service or our sermon for this morning is called All These Things and More, uh, The Meaning of Christmas, Part 2. Last week we covered Part 1, and this week we'll be covering the story of Mary. Now, um, just to do a brief review before we get into the actual message, um, uh, going through the different groups of people that um, this story, or that we covered in this story We covered three different groups of people uh, The first group of people that we covered Were those who rejected God's plan And this is the plan of God sending Jesus uh, To be the the Christ, the Messiah There were some people who embraced it, there were some people who rejected it And we covered this group of people and uh, Primarily looking at uh, the character Herod um, <clears throat> Herod thought that the coming of Christ meant that he would lose his throne. And uh, for the priests as well, uh, Judaism as they knew it would change if they embraced Jesus. And what we saw through this story is that uh, in the birth of Christ, we saw how God used the star to attract the wise men. The wise men came to Jerusalem and got the attention of Herod who then tapped the priests and the scholars on the shoulders, and they confirmed the coming of Christ or the birth of Christ through Scripture. Um, And from this event, all of Jerusalem heard about uh, the birth of Christ. Uh, The the Christmas story tells us that, um, it shows us how God in his own way tries to reach out to uh, Herod and even the priests who would eventually reject Jesus. And we get a picture of what's on the heart of God uh, even to those who oppose, oppose his plan. The second group of people that we looked at uh were those who were unaware of God's plan but were still affected by it. And we 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 talked about the babies who were affected uh by the birth of of Jesus or specifically the babies in in Bethlehem. This group um kind of represents a sad part of the story in that uh we saw how Herod is Herod was mentally and emotionally unstable and he doesn't want to risk any child taking over his throne or his kingdom. And so he orders the death of all of the male children ages uh, two and below. And as a result, this extremely sad story takes place where uh, there's this mass, there's this massacre that takes place. Um, These stories, um, in the Bible, cause us to ask the question, uh, God, what do you do when innocent people die? What do you do when people don't have the opportunity to respond to the gospel, when people don't have the opportunity to respond in, in, in faith or belief? Uh, last week, there were six children who uh, tragically died in a jumping castle in Tasmania, and I think there are moments when that happens where we ask that question, um, God, how do you respond in these moments? We read in Romans chapter 2 verses 12 to 15 how uh, God takes into consideration the goodness of people. God looks at the heart of the individual and doesn't make faith a condition to salvation. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 12 to 15, it shows us that there are moments when we are uncertain of the mercy of God, but we can be reminded that God is looking for an excuse to save. In each of these groups, what we've seen is that the coming of Christ has produced this negative effect, Um, and, and oftentimes when we present the gospel, we present it as good news, we present it as this message that would bring hope and peace and joy, but what we're seeing here is there's... Yes, there is hope and peace and joy, but it's also mixed in with conflict and suffering and and, and, and difficulty and I suppose uh, my Christian paradigm wants the presence and power of God to eliminate suffering and difficulty. Uh, but as I read through the scripture more and more, I realize that the Bible nor my life uh, experience reflects this. False belief. Um, God and suffering seem to coexist at least this side of eternity. Uh, In scripture, the presence and power of God does not eliminate suffering and difficulty, at least prior to the second coming of Christ. But the contrary is true. Rather, suffering and difficulty often result because of the presence of God. If I were to word this differently or or, or to put this in a different perspective, um, I would word it this way. God is working in and through history, and as a result of the good that he is trying to do, that which is opposed to God creates conflict. Whether it's this fallen world, whether it's the uh, interests of people who are Uh, not committed to the plans of God, or whether it's my own heart when I try to live out good and the selfishness in my own heart opposes that which is good. Suffering is proof that God exists and that God is trying to do good. So how do we process this difficult reality? Uh, How do we process the challenges that we face in our lives during these seasons when we seek God's presence and things seem to get worse? Today we're going to be looking at the story of Mary, uh, someone who embraced God's plan. Um, I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer as uh, we look at the story of Mary. Father God, as we... Open up your Word, and as we look for uh, guidance, as we look for hope, as we look for instruction, it's my prayer that you would speak to our hearts. Um, the last two years have been such a difficult time for so many, and I, I myself, have often asked that question or wondered. Uh, what's going on here and we, we we've we've looked for solutions we've looked for resolutions to the pandemic we've looked for uh healing uh in 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 our own lives and in the lives of our loved ones and father it's 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 a difficult thing to come to grips with this idea that you are present and yet suffering exists as well and so i just pray that you would give us uh, guidance, uh, direction, and, and and hope as we read through the Christmas story. We pray in your name. Amen. So today we're going to be looking at this third category of people, and that's uh, this group would be those who embrace God's plan. We're going to be looking at the story of Mary. I want to read from the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And the story reads... And then the angel left her. Imagine being Mary. An extraterrestrial uh, being appears with incredible news, or maybe I should say a celestial being uh, appears before her with incredible news. You're going to give birth to the Son of God. Uh, It's going to be a miracle. Your child will become the King of Israel, and he'll rule, uh, will last forever and ever. If you look at how the angel addresses Mary, she's called a favored woman, someone who will have the assurance of the presence of God. And whenever you see that line, uh, the presence of God will go with you or God be with you, when somebody actually has the presence of God, Um, It's a very significant thing. And maybe I should word it the other way. It's not so much that the individual has the presence of God. It's that God has the individual. That individual has submitted their lives to him. And so it's a very significant thing to have that confidence that God is near. You can tell in Mary's response uh, to this news that she's excited. Uh, She thinks, I am the Lord's servant. And her response is, May everything you have said about me come true. And she's like, To the letter, let it be so. Here's a faithful young woman who is promised an incredible reward to which she accepts. But things get complicated for Mary. Imagine being Joseph. Several months later, he is walk he walks into the room and he notices that Mary has a bump, and he asks Mary, well, what's going on here? And Mary's response would be, "Joseph, I have such exciting news for you. Uh, this child that I am um, that I am pregnant with is the Son of God." Now, what's going on in Joseph's mind? He'd be wondering, "Is Mary telling the truth, or is she lying to me?" We'll continue reading about how Joseph handles this a bit of information. So Matthew chapter 18, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter one, verses 18 to 24. The story goes, this is how Jesus, the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy spirit. Joseph to whom she was engaged was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not know her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So Joseph clearly has a difficult time accepting Mary's story. Um, And as a good person, he decides to end the relationship privately. He could make a big deal out of it. He could tell everybody, you won't believe what Mary's told me. But instead, he just kind of puts her away quietly. But just a few months prior, uh, when the angel had told Mary she was favored, um, or excuse me, So just a few months prior, an angel had told Mary that she was favored and that God's presence would be with her. But as a result of Mary saying yes to God, Joseph says no to Mary. Now, in that moment, Mary would have had serious doubts about God's promise. How can God's favor end up leaving her as a single mother? How would she provide for herself? How would she provide for her child? It takes a visit from an angel for Joseph to realize that Mary is telling the truth. Now, I'm not 100% sure why God didn't just send the angel to both Mary and Joseph at the same time. I think it would have helped them in their relationship. I think it would have helped communication in general. Um, but what's interesting is that a similar thing happens in, in the story of Samson when he is born in Judges chapter 13. Now, in Judges chapter 13, an angel communicates Samson's birth through his mother first. And uh, the mother goes to her husband and says, hey, an angel appeared before me, and uh, we're going to have a son. And the husband doesn't really accept it, uh, accept her word at face value right away. He kind of kind of does this thing where he's like, oh, I hope God appears again, because he wants God to communicate to him specifically. And so the question is, why does God speak through the wife first, or the, the female partner first, and why does he leave the male partner in the dark? Well, in the case of Samson and Jesus, uh, I believe this takes place because God is trying to, or, or the the... The authors of these stories are connecting these stories together. Uh, There's a strong argument that the beginning of both stories serve as a means to link the two stories theologically, um, and and, and, uh, it allows the reader to know there's something special about both Samson and Jesus. If you look at the story of these two individuals, both Samson and Jesus provide deliverance for Israel. Both Samson and Jesus take the vow of the Nazarite. Both Samson and Jesus do more in their death than in their life. I don't think God is complicating Mary's life unnecessarily, but there's a story of redemption that is being told, and the progression of God communicating to Mary first seems important to the story. This incident between Mary and Joseph foreshadows the journey of the mother of Christ. There is a repeating cycle, um, that There's evidence of God's presence that, that brings comfort and assurance and then shortly after there being conflict and difficulty as a result of what God does. In Matthew chapter 2, the story continues. Uh, after the wise men are directed to Bethlehem uh, by the priests, the star appears and guides them directly to where Jesus is born and they bring gold frankincense and myrrh. Uh, This is an event that's supposed to bring uh, incredible encouragement to to Mary Ann Joseph. I don't know if you've seen the uh, meme that's been floating around uh, social media, but it's the meme of the three uh, three wiser women who arrived after the three wise men left, um, and they brought diapers, casserole for a week, and uh, lots of baby formula. Now, I'm sure Mary appreciated the wise men's uh, gifts, but how incredible this must must have been for Mary. You know, on multiple occasions, Mary and Joseph, uh, they receive unexpected guests who come to worship Jesus, first the shepherds, then the wise men. But shortly after, uh, Herod finds out that the wise men have deceived him, and he sends out this order to execute all the babies in Bethlehem. And so right after they receive these incredible visitations and uh, there's evidence of God's presence and his power and his grace, there is this challenge and difficulty that the family faces. So shortly after, an angel directs Joseph to flee with his family out of the country for their safety. And here's that cycle. You know, as someone who started a new family in a new country um, without having any strong support uh, without having a strong support network, it's not easy what Mary and Joseph have to go through. Uh, they have to live in fear of their lives, and I'm sure Mary imagined um, how wonderful it would have been to originally celebrate the birth of her son, the miraculous birth of her son with her friends, but instead she would have to flee for her life flee with the life of her child and her husband to a foreign country completely isolated from all who know her. Early in Jesus' life, Mary and Joseph have another miraculous interaction uh, with a man named Simeon. He accurately gives a prophecy of what it would be like for Mary to be the mother of Christ. In Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35, the Bible says, Then Simeon Blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, and the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Simeon understands that even though Mary is in a position of privilege, Um, There's an element of the blessing that is also a burden. Everything about Jesus and his mission would call Mary to prioritize God's plan over her reputation, God's plan over her legacy, God's plan over her comfort. See, Christ's birth resulted in Mary having to live with the reputation of being pregnant prior to marriage what would have been like in Mary's day to have the community think that Jesus was an illegitimate child? Later on in Jesus's life, as he's interacting with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, they they mock him by saying, at least we are not illegitimate children. See, they had done their homework as they were getting to know this uh, teacher who was rising in influence, and they found out that there was some mystery surrounding his birth. There's, there's controversy, there's scandal um, surrounding his birth. And so as they interact with him, they make public what they have found out. Christ's ministry also resulted in Mary having to live with the reputation of mothering a rebel. Imagine being the mother of Jesus. At the height of Jesus' ministry, he's seen as a heretic He's seen as someone who's trying to do away with Judaism. And finally, he was tried as a criminal. What was said about Mary in her town after Jesus was crucified? What kind of looks did Mary receive as she walked through her town? See, Simeon's prophecy to Mary was that the thoughts and intents of her heart would be revealed by the life of Christ. The circumstances brought by the life of Jesus would reveal whether or not God's plan was first and foremost in Mary's heart. This is also true for us. What does the life of Christ mean for you and for me? How do we respond in moments when God doesn't do what we want him to do, or God doesn't do what we expect him to do? There's a prolific writer by the name of Bobby Clinton and he talks a lot about um, spiritual discipline and character development. And uh, one aspect of character development that he highlights is something called the sovereign mindset. And, and he, he starts out by defining mindset. Um, and, and the definition reads as follows. A mindset is a fixed mental attitude or disposition formed by experience, education, prejudice, Uh, that that predetermines a person's responses to and interpretations of situations. And so Bobby Clinton says it's incredibly important for us as followers of Jesus to cultivate something called a sovereign mindset. And that's simply a way of viewing life's activities so as to see and respond to God's purposes in them. Bobby Clinton highlights, or he gives the example of the Apostle Paul as someone who really cultivated this sovereign mindset in their lives. And I wanted to post a string of texts from the Pauline epistles of how Paul highlights his own connection or his own relationship to Jesus. And notice notice what he calls himself. Um... In Ephesians chapter three, verse one, Paul writes, "For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, in Ephesians four one, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk worthy of your Christian calling." In Philippians one thirteen, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. In 2 Timothy 1 8, he says, Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share also in the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. In Philemon 1 9, uh, Paul writes, Yet for love's sake I rather implore you, being such as one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Notice in each of these. Instances of affliction, of trial, of imprisonment of imprisonment, of persecution, Paul calls himself the prisoner of Christ. Paul acknowledges that there's something that God is doing in and through the difficulty of his life. And in each moment, Paul says, God, you are sovereign in you are sovereign in my life. Paul takes each of these instances and recognizes that God is trying to build maturity in uh, in, and through the circumstance. I want to talk about how God takes challenges and he calls us to process these moments, to step into relationship with him and to lean into God in these moments of difficulty. Bobby Clinton calls this deep processing, and it refers to a collection of process items which intensely work on deepening the maturity of an individual. There are several things that Paul does when he uh, experiences difficulty. One, he recognizes God's hand in life happenings, no matter who or what the immediate cause. Paul then Submits to God's deeper purposes in his life happenings. Thirdly, Paul learns and uses the lessons uh, from these life happenings or through these processing items. And fourthly and finally, Paul shares those lessons with others. There's one passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that I'd like to explore with you. I'm going to be breaking. Second uh, Corinthians chapter one verses three to eleven into two sections. First, we're going to look at verses three to seven. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, well, I'm not sure where those slides went. But in Second Corinthians chapter one verses three to seven, if you if you have a Bible near you, I invite you to open up your Bible and turn to open up your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 to 7 and I'll read the text for you. Um, so for those of you who are uh auditory learners, this will be great for those of you who are visual learners. Uh, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 to 7. The text says, "Blessed be God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ." the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer or whether we be comforted. It is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you be also for the consolation. So there are several things that Paul highlights in this passage the first thing is that Paul says God will meet us in these moments of difficulty. In other words, when challenge arrives uh, arises in our lives, when there is difficulty, when there is uh, something that leads to suffering, Paul calls us to lean into God in those moments. Now, if I'm honest, um, I'm I'm very much introverted, and I don't like. Uh, leaning into anything or anyone in those moments, I, I just want to be by myself, and it, it's it's been kind of interesting being married to somebody who does lean into other people. Uh, where Jinha, when she experiences something that's challenging, she is uh, it is natural for her to then connect with somebody to share and to find encouragement. Paul says that God will meet us in the moments of our difficulty. And I think for us, normally when we expect God, uh, excuse me, when we lean into God, we expect Him to do something. That's what it means to lean into God. Like, God, if I pray and I ask for deliverance from whatever it is that I'm going through, then you're going to do something. But that isn't always the case. Um There are moments when God's grace doesn't have an immediate solution, but rather God's grace provides um, the assurance of his presence and strength for us to continue on in the midst of that difficulty. There's another thing that Paul does. He says that the deep processing tests our own value in the sufficiency of Christ. In other words, there are moments when in that difficulty, all we can do is lean on God's grace. And and what that just simply means is we're saying, God, I'm not in control of what I'm doing, and I need you. And I think that's encouraging for several reasons. One is there are times when Difficulty happens in our lives, and we don't respond positively. Uh, if I'm honest, if uh, there's a moment where uh, something happens in my in my day, somebody says something that's hurtful to me, uh, my, med- my immediate response is not, well, let me pray, and then I'll forgive the person. What usually happens is um, it takes a day or two for me to just kind of get over it and then have the courage to go talk to the individual, try to work it out, and then go to prayer afterwards. And and sometimes the process is smooth, sometimes it takes a long time, and sometimes um, I don't respond positively at, at all. Instead of making things better, I make things worse. Like, if I'm going through a difficult time with Jinha, the argument may, may get worse and worse and worse, and it may be prolonged for a long period of time. And And I think in those moments, this idea that we can tap into God's grace is really important because we may not respond positively. We might respond negatively. And, and the encouragement that I get from this passage is that it's okay to struggle with a difficulty that presents itself in your life. Just because you struggle, it doesn't mean that God is not present. And just because you struggle, it doesn't mean that God won't be good. So lean into God. Lean in to God's grace. Know that He is there. If you handle the difficulty well, great. If you don't handle the difficulty well, that's what God's grace is there for. Paul also says that in these moments where we go through these deep processing, uh, where we go through this deep processing, we go through it in order to help others and our own development. Through those circumstances, gives us hope that others can also know the grace of God as they go through their processing. Here's the second half of that passage, Second Corinthians chapter one verses eight to eleven. For we would not, brethren, have you have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, inasmuch that we Uh, Despaired even of life, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not rely on ourselves, but in God which raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. You also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. So, there are three things that I want to highlight from this passage. One, we really learn to trust in God when we come to the end of our own resources. So, I think there are times when um, we want the circumstance, the difficult circumstance, to be changed right away. But there's something good that comes about when we are unable to find a solution. And ultimately, it causes us to rely on God. You know, we've been going through this pandemic, and we've tried several things to get a hold of COVID-19. We've tried isolation. We're trying uh, the wearing of masks. We're trying social distancing, then vaccinations, then boosters, and As we try to keep up with this pandemic, there are more and more things that happen that are just outside of our control. And so the question comes, okay, what do we do when government policy, when medical science, when society just cannot come up with a solution to the problem that is before us? Then ultimately, we are just left to ask, God, we can only rely on you. And how do you want us to respond in this difficult time? How do we interact with one another? How do we how do we find peace in the midst of this um, virus that is causing so much stress and harm? Ultimately, it comes to then. Uh, ultimately, we can only put up our hands and say, "God, ultimately, you are in control." Paul also highlights, when we go through these circumstances, it calls us to prayer. It calls us to lean on God, but it also calls us to lean on God together. And I think in these moments, it's we already know it's difficult to journey through this on our own. But something that would be interesting to try moving forward, at least in 2022, would be praying together. Through these difficult moments, learning to lean on each other and lean on God. And I think there's something powerful about having multiple people praying about the same thing. I do believe that God works in a special way as groups of people seek Him. And so if you're interested in joining a prayer group, uh, if you're interested in joining me in prayer in 2022, um, feel free to contact me, tap me on the shoulder, send me a text message, message the facebook group, uh, email, email the church and uh, we'd be happy to to include you in, in a prayer group. The last thing that's highlighted in second Corinthians chapter 1 verses 8 to 11, is the ultimate hope and freedom that is promised. And the ultimate hope that is promised is found in the second coming of Christ. On one hand, this promise gives incredible hope because it shows that there is an end in sight. There comes a point in time when we can finally kick up our feet and rest. There comes a time when we can know there will be no more death, no more suffering, no more tears. God has a plan there will be a happy ending the other challenge that we that that presents itself is that that solution is in the future it isn't necessarily in the present and sure there are moments where life is good there are moments where there's an abundance of happiness where life is good work is good everybody is healthy but there are also moments where that is not guaranteed and i think it it's it's being in that place of limbo where we kind of ask God that question: um, Why? Why isn't there a solution sooner? In John chapter sixteen, verse thirty-three, Jesus says, "I have told you all this so that you have, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart." because I've overcome the world. The reality is that we live in a fallen world, and the Bible says that the world is sinful, that there is an opposition to God. There is this force that is trying to deter humanity from knowing God intimately. And so, it's easy to say, God, you have the power to change the circumstances that we live in, But what God is searching for are people who, in their hearts, genuinely long for the presence of God. And I think there's something about suffering and difficulty that makes that journey genuine. If in our relationship with one another, whether it's marriage partner, boyfriend or girlfriend, or even friendship, when everything is good, if people only stick around when everything is good, um, that isn't necessarily an indicator of genuine uh, of a genuine relationship. You know, we call that a, f- a fair weather friend. It's in the times of difficulty when people are willing to press together, to support each other, to show love when um, when the other person is going through a difficult time. That's what determines genuine love. And so here we are in the midst of this. Conflict between uh, good and evil, between righteousness and sin, and God is looking for this genuineness to be developed, genuine maturity to, to to be developed. So the hope is that one day there will be a solution. And as we go through this difficulty, there are moments where God's love and power and grace are evident, and I hope that you can experience that. As you go through this Christmas, may you be reminded of the story of Mary, somebody who is the very mother of Christ, who went through tremendous amounts of suffering as she, as she embraced um, the plans of God. And of course, ultimately, Jesus himself, who, who certainly personified this idea. May it bring you comfort as you lean into God, as you lean on his grace, as you press together with us as a body of believers, um, may we experience God's grace together. Will you join me in prayer um, as we finish? Father God, as we consider the meaning of Christmas, uh, all these things and more, Father, there's so many positive things about Christmas that bring about joy and cheer, and at the same time, there are moments, um, especially during the season, where we have cause to contemplate um, the challenges of our lives as well. And I pray that you would cause us to lean on you, that you would cause us to look to you uh, together as a, as a church, as a body of believers, and may we experience uh, grace. May we be able to guide and help others who are also uh, suffering as well. I we pray these things in your name. Amen.